Welcome in to the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a special edition of football and random things here. It's uh, spring football is in full swing up in Ames, and we decided to get the whole crew together. But first, we got to give a quick shout out to our sponsor of all of our spring football content at Cyclone Fanatic. That's A Plus Lawn and Landscape. If you're looking for somebody to, you know, maybe help you get your lawnmower ready to go. I know that you know, me and my roommates, we had to get the, we had a little trouble getting our lawnmower going here just the, uh, just the other day. Might have to give a call to A plus lawn and landscape, but uh, they've been a great sponsor of us here at Cyclone Fanatic for many years and been one of our longstanding partners for spring football. We've got Jeff Woody on the line. And more importantly, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Jay Jordan, Jay, what's up, brother? Hey, Jared. Hey, Jeff. I am becoming more of a myth these days, eh? Being a <laughs> bit more silent. <laughs> You're like the Loch Ness monster. You're the Loch Ness monster of Cyclone Fanatic football coverage. You can only see my humps come out of the water every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> There's Jeff is the Christmas elf. Jeff's the Christmas elf. Jay is the Loch Ness monster. Yeah. Hello, Jeff. You can talk to. I'd rather be Nessie than the, the Yeti. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, Jer uh, Jay brings power and gravitas to his words, and I have trouble reaching <laughs> the top shelf. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's been man. too long. It's been too long. It has been too long. Uh, Man, fellas, this is uh, this is an exciting time. Obviously, I'm sure both of you guys saw the the FPI poll come out yesterday with Iowa State at number four uh, in that initial FPI ranking, giving the Cyclones a 40.6 percent chance at making the college football playoff next January. Um, you know, the program obviously in an unprecedented position, which is nothing new. We obviously knew that that was the case already with uh, all the exciting things that have been going on for Matt Campbell and, uh, in this program over the last several months, but, um, you know, the, on the national scale, uh, the program started to, to gain even more exposure than what it had previously. Where do we want to start this conversation? What do you think's the first, what's the first thing that we need to touch on here before we really dive into, uh, any sort of nitty gritty, uh, you know, position by position or anything like that? I think generally, so I'll, I'll say my kind of my piece first and then Jay can have a much more reasoned and thought out approach afterwards. Um, the thing that sticks out to me is the computers have always, I guess, since coach Campbell got there, the computers have always loved Iowa state for the sake of their rate of play. They're generally turnover percentage, generally like efficiency metrics on either side. Uh, and FPI is a, a computer metric. It's not people ranking other things. So it's like you put all the data in, it spits out the numbers on the other side. So it's not surprising that Iowa state is going to be higher than what we would expect in the computers. Um, but realistically, uh, there still are like, when you look at, I think the percentage percent chance to make the playoff, they're actually lower than Ohio state, which they are technically above in the rankings. And their chance to go undefeated, their chance to win the conference, all of those are lower than what mo a lot of the teams around them are. But for the sake of the metrics, metrics have always loved Iowa State. So it's it's surprising in that they're number four, but it's not surprising that they're higher than what their like AP and human rankings are. Jay, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. Generally speaking, uh, Iowa State's efficiency of play and the way that they play is very computer friendly. Um, it's not surprising. A lot of this stuff is based on returning production, right? And returning production is skewed because of the extra year that uh, so many folks get to take advantage of. And Iowa State has more than its fair share of, of returning production and people taking advantage of that extra year. So it's, it's not surprising that they might get a little bit of boost when you're looking at pure numbers um, going up in, into that, that stratosphere. But I will say that I was very surprised than that to be placed that highly on the national level. Um, even just with the, uh, uh, you know, efficiency in the numbers, uh, skewing things in Iowa state's favor. Um, I was surprised to see that high and has caused me some, you know, just because of the nerd that I am <laughs> caused me to think very deeply about whether or not that is, uh, warranted, uh, and also ask the question, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, so the, the, to answer, at least to, uh, to add on to the why not question is you mentioned that, that Iowa state has a what, 40% chance to make the playoff by the FBI rankings, give or take. Uh, and Oklahoma has roughly a 60% chance, give or take, which means the winner of the big 12, so long as they don't have like three losses is probably going to be credited. As long as the conference doesn't suck, that they're going to be one of the teams that has a really good chance to get a team there. So you have sec champ Clemson and then Ohio state. And then the best team out of the pac 12 right now is Oregon. And we saw what Oregon and Iowa state, what that matches up to. So essentially what they're saying is, Winner of the Big 12 is going to get in. Mathematically speaking, one of those two. So then we look at the Big 12. Who gives you pause to go, man, I don't think Iowa State can take them other than Oklahoma. And it's not even, I don't even think, I. it's not a fear of Oklahoma. It's like, all right, flip a coin over the past five years. It's about 50-50 with Iowa State and Oklahoma. So really the winner of that game essentially earns the leg up towards Big 12 championship. So giving Iowa State a 40% chance uh, towards the playoff, although to most Iowa State fans is going to seem holy nuts. That's a phenomenally high number. That's crazy. But when you think about it, like Jay was saying, when you ask the question, like, why not? All right, well, why not win the Big 12 and you're pretty much there? Well, and it's worth noting too that like Iowa State's number being lower than Ohio State probably is impacted by the fact that they'll have to play Oklahoma, you know, like that they're having those two teams in the same league makes it towards like, okay, well, realistically, Iowa state's chances are going to be less than Ohio state because Ohio state doesn't have any other teams that are up at the top like mm-hmm. that. What? So like, that would probably be why, I mean, just the from the computer standpoint, but also I think that like, from what I was reading yesterday, that would based on the numbers that came out, Iowa state would basically be like a three point favorite over Ohio state on a neutral field. I don't think any of us are crazy enough to think that Iowa state would be favorite over Ohio state if they were to play today. Right. You know, like, so there's some things that need to go into these, like when you, you got to go into these numbers with a little bit of pause of like, I don't know that necessarily FPI is the absolute best metric to like really come into this season thinking like, Oh, well, Iowa state college football playoff favorite. Well, you know, probably not like let's, let's chill a little bit, but uh, still, I mean, I think, well, you know, it, I think it does warrant like also in that it, top 10. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. Who, me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was I just going to say, also in that top 10, you had Mississippi State. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, there's obviously some, like, teams that probably would not be in there in a, a you know, under normal circumstances. But I, I do think that the it warrants the question of, like, are – are we getting too overinflated of an idea of what Iowa state football could be, you know, like, should we pump the brakes a little bit on the hype train here in mid April from where we're at? I'm interested to know what you guys think of that. Let's talk about that. Go ahead, Jeff. What do you think, Jeff? Oh, I a hundred percent. So I think you have to always go into any season going, all right, let's see what's going to happen. Because even though you are returning a lot, we, we have talked about the kind of the confidence that you're going into uh, a, a bounce of the ball here and a bounce of the ball there changes the outcome in a whole bunch. So saying Iowa state is going to run the table and you know, they're the fourth ranked team. They beat Ohio state in neutral field. They're, you know, up there with Alabama and Clemson and stuff. And, and that's the metric. All right. That may or may not be true, but everything preseason is a guess. And the other thing that I want to make sure that at least because I think the listenership of this podcast is enough because of Cyclone Fanatics poll that don't become what you hate. So in the pumping the hype train, if things start, if the, if during the season or whatever, or start of the season, if things don't go as well as you want to, you only beat, I don't know, let's go. You play the UNLV game and you win that game by two on a last second field goal. Don't start becoming fans that are like, we expected more from this team. This is bull. This is whatever, that kind of thing. There are, there are still, it's a ton of talent, but this is not the be all end all season. There is going to be more that come beyond this. So yes, pumping the hype train, knowing that Iowa state should be good, has the potential to be good, but they also have the potential to not be. And that's okay because it's still a, a program that is developing as much as we want to. So going in with optimism and expectation that you have the chance to be good, but knowing that this is still a sort of a work in prog, everything's a work in progress team. So uh, we are partially responsible for pumping the hype train, but also we should be partially responsible for slowing it down and saying like anything can happen, even if you are ranked really highly. Am I, am I off base Jay or am I somewhere in the ballpark? You're right, right where I am. I, uh, I think you have to temper it and it's not because we're Iowa state. It's just more just to, from a real, just football perspective. Last season was weird. We, we, I mean, we, we potted about it last summer and talked about Iowa state being in a great position to manage the challenges and difficulties of last season. And they did it and they did just what we expected them to do. They managed it better than other people, uh, other teams and programs and reaped rewards and benefits before that or because of that. This year, things will be a little bit more on even footing for all the teams. I think now then you've got to slot Iowa State into and make the hard analysis as to what does the talent level along with scheme adjusts uh, yield in a more normal year in the Big 12. And that um, they, they get the benefit of being as efficient and as, as strong as they were last year through last year's crisis management season. Um, what does that look like moving forward? I'm kind of on both sides of the fence. I don't, I don't think you need to hype it up uh, because Iowa state has realistic issues with Oklahoma state. That's the team you're saying, Jeff, you know, who's that team out there that 
they struggle with is at OU. Well, yeah, but you're kind of 50-50 with OU. They're not 50-50 with Oklahoma State. They have trouble with them. They have trouble with Iowa. They haven't beaten Iowa yet uh, in the Campbell era. Um, those two teams are on the schedule. Those teams are both really good. Um, TCU is in kind of a make-or-break Patterson-type year, in my opinion, um, this year. But there's there's some some positive things among the competition on that schedule that, that can cause uh, some pause with regard to uh, what Iowa State's realistic expectation and ceiling could be. That said, I think when we get into the, the uh, you know, grind of it a little bit here, um, there's a big why not element because Iowa State brings some things to the table and has some issues that are eminently fixable uh, that could lend their particular style of play um, that could yield a result that's better than what we're even thinking right now. Um, I was interested to know what, in your mind, the biggest you know thing in in that sense is where you know they're fixable, but it should still give some element of pause. I guess. I mean, I think you know as good as Brock Purdy has been in his career at Iowa State, we have not done probably as much talking about Brock and the improvement that he still has to make in, you know, his time as a cyclone, um, as what we should have. I think Jay, Jeff and I have done two podcasts in the last two weeks, and I don't even know that we've brought up Brock's name, uh, in those two conversations. And it's like, as good as Brock has been, Brock has still had some hiccups, especially early in seasons, you know, that I think has to give a little bit of pause to like thinking that they're going to come in and be just world beaters right off the bat. So if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think the you're on base and a little, I think a little off base in the same time. So Brock's issues, I think the early in the season part is going to be less of an issue this year because a lot of what Iowa state's offense is developed upon is rhythm and timing. And it takes time to develop that rhythm and timing under normal circumstances when you don't have everybody back. And so I think this year there is the only thing that he's going to be missing is his uh, kind of innate security blanket uh, that, which comes with the H position, which Charlie is his number one security blanket go-to whenever you have an issue. Uh, and Xavier is there too, but the kind of the H back kind of leak out position is something that he likes to do. And Deshante sort of in the route tree played that role when he was there. Um, so they do still have a couple things to develop, but the, the majority of the offense is going to know like Sean Shaw's back and Xavier's back and the two, two of the three tight ends are back. And like, they're, they're going to have a better understanding of rhythm. So I don't think the early season is necessarily the problem with Brock. I do think though, uh, and, and credit it to protection, uh, because by the end of the season, there is the injury was on the offensive line did start to pile up, whether credit to protection, credit to receivers, not being the right space or credit to Brock, one of those three things. But when you do get into a straight up drop back and throw situation, a lot of times gunslinger Brock will get to the point where he's pressing a little too hard. And in the times when he is operating within the offense, it is immaculately executed. It's beautiful when he's operating inside the offense. And sometimes when you operate outside of the offense, you get those 25 yard runs or you get those off schedule plays, but also sometimes you get uh, two seconds too late deep ball over the middle against Baylor that ends up getting horribly intercepted. Like you're going to get a couple of those kind of big risk reward plays. So a, a lot of that comes with the offense being able to operate on rhythm. And I think 
bringing back a little bit of what Jay had said before with teams like Iowa and Oklahoma state is they, they press the issue to not let you operate on schedule and you then have to operate outside of your offense where you want to. And if Brock can improve there, that's where one of the issues that if you can mitigate that issue, then how do you stop this offense at all? But if you can't mitigate that offense or mitigate that issue, then you are going to get teams that say, all right, get rid of uh, minimum, get Brees Hall to 90 yards a game instead of 150 and make Purdy throw off schedule on third and nine. Like that's the kind of thing that you're going to want to get them to do. So um, yeah, that's the issue that I would see kind of with the offense or with things that you can kind of pinpoint Jay, are those similar thoughts as far as what Brock needs to do or where the offense is the holes that this offense needs to fill? Yes. Uh, I think I, I got several thoughts on this. Um, and you can tell me what, what you've seen. I recently went back through the season uh, and looked specifically at items like this. And the, because I was struck that the, that the passing game did not seem to be as efficient as it had been in the past, uh, even with Brock. And I wanted to know kind of, what they did that was effective and what wasn't. One of the things I noticed was that, that a large majority of the passing efficiency last season was based on RPO deliveries down the seams, but they would attack the seams from different spots. They would attack the seams on the seam with the tight end or an H releasing straight down the field or on that. They would fold in in a slant or a skinny post from the outside uh, you can think like the Hutchinson catch against Oklahoma uh, that went for the score. Um, they would bring, you know, a Shaw in or down the seam straight from the outside of the slot. Uh, but they were based off pure play action or RPO action after establishing the outside zone game with Brees. So they established the outside uh, game with Brees, outside zone game with Brees, and then they'd bring in a backside or a front side uh, seam route on an RPO and Iowa state got huge chunks of yards in the, uh, offense moved efficiently when they were able to do that. What they need to be able to do is attack the backside of their trips formations, um, better. They need to expand that route tree. And that happens in two places. I think I, I was thinking, well, they are who they are. They've got who they've got. We've got the guys you just mentioned. Uh, yes, can they win more at the line of scrimmage and in individual matchups against man coverage and Brock hit them on schedule and on time instead of extending plays for a big place? Yes, that can happen. Uh, I'd like to see that happen. But you've got two elements that did not materialize last year that can materialize this year. Number one is Tariq Milton. I think the loss of Tariq Milton for most of last year was really devastating because he brought to the table kind of what Deshante Jones did in his senior year, uh, the ability to catch the ball short, make uh, extend a play for eight, nine, 10, 20 yards down the sideline. Uh, he, Milton also has the speed and ability to work himself deep along the seams and outside. Uh, when you took him out of the lineup, um, Iowa State lost a pretty big comfort zone. The other, other element it's part and parcel of that is that deep ball, that deep game that we saw with Hakeem Butler, that we saw with Alan Lazar. Iowa State did not have that last year, but they tried. And the guy they, they've tagged to do that is Skates. So what I don't know, like Skates can win at the top of routes. Uh, 
and be in a great position to make those catches. He just doesn't sometimes. He's just not a great contested ball catcher at this point in his career. His hands are, haven't developed to that level. I don't know if he shows that in practice and then struggles with it in the games. Uh, but there was a stretch through kind of the middle of the season where, where that was a part of each game plan, one or two balls that go deep down to him uh, that only rarely, I think he only had like six catches last year. So they, they didn't connect on it. If you bring back a fully healthy Tariq Milton in the short slot game uh, in the wide receiver screen game and running deep, and then you get a skates or someone like skates, they want it to be skates because he's fast and big and capable of winning at the top of deep routes that can stretch the field. Now, all of a sudden, your Kohler, your Allen, your Brees Hall, your Daniel Jackson, uh, your Xavier's uh, folding underneath those deep routes. If you can hit some of those over the top, now you've got an offense that starts to look like an offense that's top 10 in the country. And the other thing about those are improvements that can be made and they have. Go ahead. I was going to say the other thing about mentioning a deep ball, and we've talked about it on the, on the podcast before, the deep ball doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like you're not going to need Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith catching, no. you know, three 50-yard balls a game. You don't need that. You just need one or two every game that either click or are almost clicking. Because if you get one 50-yard pass and then you get another one that's almost there, then in the back of a defensive coordinator's mind, he's going to tell his guys, you got to play back. And if you play back against Iowa state, you leave then the strength of the formation, the strength of every, the offense, which is Brees, the tight ends and the offensive line, you leave them a lot more space to operate. So yep. getting a deep ball as uh, as a, an effective adjunct to this offense to kind of pull everybody back out of it, it doesn't have to be, yeah, you're not mentioning that they need like 15 catches a game from the from this no. wide receiver group to be down the field. It's like one to three big deep balls per game that or averaging that makes a defensive coordinator go, shoot, we got to play at least cover three. Like we're going to have to play a deep two or play cover three or something that pulls our guys back. Because if we don't, number eight is going to run it, run by it or number one's going to run by us or whatever it is. Yep. So you just kind of enough to give them pause would be a, a, a great adjunct to this offense. Right. I, I agree. And that, that also increases third down efficiency when they have to honor that. Um, then you get a little bit more space. So that third and seven and that third and nine um, will all of a sudden be, you know, a 40% conversion rate instead of 15. And that, that makes a difference. That's what makes a difference between a team going from nine to 10 to 11 wins or being at a seven win plateau. How good do you guys think this offensive line can be? That's a fun conversation. Golly. Yeah. Really damn good. <laughs> really damn good. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Oh man. I think the fun part about it is, uh, and yeah, we talked about it in the last one and Jay, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this is, it's sort of like, and I gave the analogy of like the Oregon basketball team that has four, six, six dudes that can play every position. And then yeah. one big guy where that's sort of how this offensive line is built, where you have like Colin Newell played tackle and center last year and Daryl Simmons played center and guard. And then everybody else can play every position. So you have seven dudes who could play all five positions and all of them do technical, technical things. Well, and I like to call it the mauler stuff. Well, where you're like, Hey, 
I'm going to move you backwards. Stop me. And they still move them backwards, that kind of thing. So you got seven dudes that can play all five positions. And all of them are good. That's the fun thing about this offensive line group. So we heard, uh, what's his name? Saner, uh, talk after he decided to go pro about what a big impact that the new strength and conditioning coach was making and that the biggest difference moving forward for Iowa state football will be year two with, with him. What's his, what's his name? Dave. Is it Dave? Yeah. Dave um, Andrews. Dave Andrews. Um, I think that's going to be a huge, uh, it comes in in particular with the offensive line, because I think about like the big 12 championship game where, um, um, the big kid 95 from Oklahoma was kind of wrecking things in the middle uh, for Iowa state for most of that game. And I think about another year with the strength and conditioning coach that if he is what, what people inside the program say he is, and is making the type of differences that, that I think we saw last year. And I think we'll continue to see this year. Then, then all of a sudden, like Jeff said, if that offensive line has the ability to impose its will, regardless of opponent um, and so, certain contexts and not get blown up, but, but neutralize uh, some of the athleticism and size on uh, the larger marquee type athletes that they against so Iowa. Additional flexibility is something that Campbell's done since he got here on offense and defense. He's done it on the offensive line and we're seeing the fruits of it. But what I love about each of these kids is they all have great feet. He's recruited that. You can see it uh, when you look at the film of the guys that he's brought in. He's got a few guys who are just big giant maulers. Rob Hudson's that kid from Green uh, County up there came in last year. He's got some big giant monsters, but he's also got some guys with great feet. Your Rimsburg, your Ramos, your Simmons, uh, Newell, uh, Downing. All of those guys play with great feet and technique. And, um, that's been the difference. That was the difference last year. And then you tag a running back who's exceptional at seeing space, pressing space and moving inside of tight space. And, uh, you get something kind of special, but if they can, they could be a little bit more, um, stout in the pass protection, create a firmer pocket for Brock on a, on, I'm not talking big time. I'm just talking like a real subtleties here create that just a little bit more with a little bit of uh, additional strength and conditioning and, and some results from that, then, then yeah, that's a step the Iowa state offense can take that makes them very difficult to beat because of their style of play. Yeah. I, and the, this is, I don't mean to compare them directly because this is not the same level, but at the same time, when you watch the Alabama Notre Dame semifinal game, and Alabama goes, we're going to play our offense. Good luck. And Najee Harris gets seven yards before he gets touched. And then Devontae Smith is really has to be one-on-one -on -one, because if you don't, then not, you're going to have to – Najee Harris is going to get plenty of space. So you have to kind of focus on the running game because you're going to get blocked. You have to have an extra hat in there, which frees up space on the outside. And then once you have space on the outside, then it frees up space on the inside. And there's that balance that goes back and forth. And it all starts – with being a hundred percent on effectiveness on your offensive line blocks, where if you got one dude, that's like Aaron Donald, who's going to throw one guy by, you know, by the wayside and you got no chance of single blocking him or no chance of 
not getting beat like you're talking about with your bigger marquee guys at Oklahoma, Texas, you know, bigger Iowa, bigger schools like that, that if you can be physically and technically 100% on the offensive line, man, there is, there really, to me, seems like there's no limit for this offense if you can operate in that space. And they do have the horses to get close to that. Now, again, talking about the hype train, I'm not going to say that they are going to be the best offensive line in the big 12 or one of the best offensive lines in the country, but they have the potential to do that because of the guys they have, because of the technique they have. And now because of uh, coach Andrews. And then also the same thing we talked about a couple weeks ago, where uh, coach Campbell's doing a very light spring where with guys that he knows how it's going to, you know, who, what they have and they have game tape, then they're going really light, which means you're not going to have that ankle sprain on your offensive guard because he gets rolled up in, in a spring training or spring practice that he can't squat for two months. All of a sudden his lower half is weak, two months weaker than it should be. Well, you're not going to have as much of that because they're doing non-contact stuff to allow the strength progression to go all the way through the end of the year. So um, yeah, the offensive line is a really fun potential filled group that I'm excited to see once we actually do get to watch them play how far they've come both physically and kind of as a unit. Yeah. For the offenses, just to sum up, if I could, the offense can get better because there's room to improve on the offensive line and there's room to improve the uh, stretch and the, both with the athletes and the scheme uh, in the passing game. Brock doesn't have to be much better than what he has been for that offense to improve. What Brock has to do for Iowa state to be better is not make the, um, the decisions that cost his team turnovers. So you think about the Oklahoma game, uh, the, the championship game against Oklahoma. Uh, there were two of those interceptions that were just bad decisions. They're just bad balls that, that he decided to throw. And I'm not talking about the last one. I'm talking about the one on the sideline and the one into the end zone. Um, he will do that. He, uh, the Baylor ones uh, were there as well. Um, he will get into a funk and he will make those decisions. And I can't decide if that's just his upside and the way he plays or if there's a level of discipline he could could bring to it um, to, to not make – make those decisions and mistakes. But if he's going to throw nine interceptions in a year, those nine need to be seven of those need to be inconsequential instead of only three of those being inconsequential. So if he can get the consequence level of his interception bugs out of him, then that offense has a chance to, uh, to plug along. I'm not talking record setting massive numbers uh, on par with, you know, what you want to see at Ohio state Clemson. That's not what Iowa state's trying to do. What Iowa State is trying to do is control the ball and score efficiently. And if they control the ball and score efficiently, their defense plays well enough that they will be very difficult to beat. Yeah. And there's there's room to improve in that those two categories where Brock doesn't have to be everything or take another step forward. It's not all dependent on Brock. We're talking about an offensive line and a few skill positions that if they can just be a little bit better at what they do from a technique standpoint and a little bit stronger at the point of attack, then, then Iowa state is able to accomplish what they want to accomplish, which is we play high, high 
king offenses and we want to keep the ball out of their hands. Uh, and we're going to do that offensively as well as defense. Yeah. I think the ideal, we're going to score, we're going to cut you when we do have the ball. And I think the if they're ideal... able to do that, that makes them hard to beat. That's the wall. Yeah. It's the ideal is the Oregon game. It's yeah. yeah. Where I think on what they had of possible yards gained, meaning where you get the ball, did you gain all of the getting a touchdown on every one of those drives is 100% of your yards gained. I think of yards possible that they could have gained, they got all but two in the first half in the Oregon game. And by the time they came out for the second half, Jared, you were there. They were like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore because it was just a thorough ass kicking. That was like, you can try as much as you want, but we are going to do everything we want to do. And you're not going to get the ball back for six minutes. And then when you do, you better do something with it. Cause we're going to get it back to keep it for another six minutes and score another touchdown. Like that's the type of the type of ideal, perfect setup that you'd want to have, but it would be nice every once in a while to be able to turn it on and kind yeah. of scare a team like an Iowa who Iowa, if you want to just stand there and punch each other in the face for a game, they, they are comfortable doing that. But if you can stand each other, stand there, punch each other in the face. And all of a sudden you have, 65 yard bomb to Xavier Hutchinson and he takes it for the touchdown and you get it right back in two minutes. And you're like, all right, now what are you going to do? So that kind of diversity in the offense, if yeah, if you can add that, like Jay was just saying, that's where the offense can get better is in explosiveness on the back end, minimizing mistakes and being kind of better in the offensive line, continually better in the offensive line as they have been the past few years. All right, so let's flip this over to the defensive side um, because I do think that there's some big questions that can be asked about that group, regardless of the fact that they return so many great players and, and impact guys. How important do you think it is for that unit to get off to better starts than they did this past season moving forward with the fact that they kind of dug themselves some holes early. And, and obviously Jeff and I have talked about that a lot. It's the professor's gambit, you know, where they're slow playing a little bit, but do you think that there's potential for that group to get to better starts than what they did this past season where maybe they don't have to dig out of holes like they did before? Yeah, you go for it. Yeah, I think it is. I, I, I think that's a coaching thing. I mean, we, we, we had extensive discussions both on and off uh, the air about this stuff last season. Um, a lot of times your initial starts are, are the product of your game planning. You have scripts. We've all seen it. We've seen the sheets of paper with the highlights on it. And we know kind of what we want to accomplish. Uh, we talked extensively last season about, um, Haycock's ability to adjust in game as he sees what's going on, baiting people into certain things, perhaps, um, I don't think he wants to do that. I don't think he wants to get off to poor starts that that interview Chris did with him indicated that. Um, but I, I think that initial game planning can be better. And I think that's, that's a, that's a chance for the, uh, for the defensive staff uh, to be a bit, little bit better in taking away some of the things they know teams are going to do. Uh, you know, I use, I throw the Texas game out there where Texas came out and pretty much rolled for the first quarter. Um, they didn't do anything that you didn't know that Texas was going to do coming into that game. Now they did it with B. John Robinson, who's fantastic, but um, there were some things that could have been done to, to slow that roll and maybe make that a little bit more comfortable game than what it was. 
Um, I think they can get better at that from a coaching perspective, but I'm not in a position to be able to, you know, tell you exactly how they game plan or why they they game planned it. Uh, but getting off to fast starts is largely a, what are you doing when you step off the bus? And to the extent we saw last season, I think you can improve there. Yeah, they can improve, um, but I don't think it's necessarily that it's not like a poison pill kind of thing where like, if you don't, the whole season falls apart. Uh, I think that, and their capacity to improve is a lot tied because yeah. in that same interview that uh, Chris did with Haycock <clears throat> mentioned that we don't have any film on what these guys are going to do against this offense. They don't, we don't know what they like, what they don't like. What's well, basically other than Texas with Sark coming in instead of Herman, it's basically the same teams, right? I mean, again, Baylor lost Charlie Brewer, but, um, it's more or less than to be a similar offenses that you're going to see with similar personnel other than one or two teams across the season. So you have at least a concept of what the opposing coaches see when they look at your defense. So I think they're probably going to have, like, I, I'm still expecting the first drive or two to be a little rough for the Iowa state defense because it just doesn't, you know, because it is such a unique defense guessing, put yourself in a guessing position. Whereas viewing put yourself in an assessing position where you can be like all right this is what they're doing this is how they want to do it let's take this away and make them adjust on the fly and uh i think normally they did that with the first like three or four full drives you know something like 20 or 25 plays and if they got 25 plays in they could start clamping down and at that point they would other teams had extreme difficulty moving the ball but I would imagine that process just moves up a little bit where it's now a confirmation of what your thoughts are rather than totally coming from scratch where you're like, all right, you know, Baylor, I think the, the Baylor game was the biz, biggest example of this where they were, I mean, it was bad right away just because, and even Mike Rose after that game had mentioned like they ran stuff that we never saw before. You can't prevent against that and guessing only makes it worse. So I think in the, what this does now in, in mentioning that it's confirming rather than guessing is you can look at past game tape and how they've played against other teams that have a similar defense. If there are any snaps against teams with similar defense, you can go, all right, well, they really like to try and exploit the space behind the linebackers or something like that on run action. Okay. Well, let's just stop that in the second drive and see if that's a thing. Like let's start addressing that in the second drive and see if it throws them off their rhythm because then you can start having an, a rough idea of what they like to do and then pr produce the intervention sooner after one or two drives rather than after three or four drives. So it's still probably not going to be just by the nature of the defense. It's not a bad idea to see what they're going to do. You know, we, the, the pref professor's gambit, but at the same time, I think this now just pushes the adjustment period up a little bit because you have a better idea of what they're going to do. You know, another thought I had on, on that and the whole, slower starts or the seeming uh, the other part of that dynamic is, is opposing offenses is just what you said, Jeff is opposing, you know, if he's making the statement that, that they've never seen Baylor run that stuff before in a, in a football game, you're not going to run 60 minutes of plays that nobody's ever seen before, but you can run five to 10 minutes of plays that nobody's ever seen before that you've installed for that game. And I think you see because of the that nature of Iowa State, that kind of boa constrictor grinds you down, squeezes you down as games go on. Teams are ultra aggressive out of the gate 
in their play calling and bringing new wrinkles in to try to get up when Iowa State because they know they're going to have a tar- hard time coming from behind if they fall fall behind against that defense. So I think you see other teams. It's a combination of Iowa State sitting back, reading a little bit, but other teams bringing their new installs in in an aggressive manner early to try to get up on Iowa State because of, because of the nature of what's going to happen throughout the course of the game. So I would expect teams to continue to try to do that um, and Iowa State to continue to you know respond as they do. But I agree with Jeff completely. Yeah, maybe one series earlier, one play earlier, you, you've got a blitz package where you're going and you're trying to dictate to the offense what's going to happen on that play versus reacting uh, where Iowa State comes with some of the same sort of aggression from the defensive game planning standpoint that opposing offenses are, are throwing uh, at them. If you see some of that, that could make, make a change. Uh, but ultimately, it's not like Iowa State was giving up 40 points a game. I mean, teams get off good starts and they end up with 20 to 23 points. And that's okay because you could should expect your senior-laden and talented offense to be able to score enough to maintain and overcome those type of deficits moving forward. Yeah, and I think the the, the nature of the defense too, it's kind of – it's a little backwards, but uh, another basketball metaphor is Baylor versus Gonzaga in – the NCAA championship, the pressure that Baylor was putting on the ball made it. So even catching a a normal, just pass the ball off, like just trying to get rid of the ball. So you don't get a five second violation or something like that. Even those passes became difficult. And by the nature of that, you kind of could feel that like Gonzaga, you Jay was talking about that boa constrictor thing, like just by the nature of, even if it's, even if Gonzaga were to score on any given possession, the energy used to just get a productive outcome is really high. And I think that is just inherent in this defense because whether it's rush three and drop eight, or whether it's blitzing every once in a while, in order to find an opening, in this defense, you're going to end up, or to just score generally, you're not going to be able, you're not going to have the capacity to do two play drives or three play drives. And for a league that loves two and three play drives, the big 12, it's really hard to sustain and sustain and sustain and sustain. So even if you have a successful driver too early, you have to show all of your cards. You have to show everything and have to work really hard to make the normal things work that by the time you get tired, the effort that it took to do a normal thing, you don't have the energy to produce that anymore, which I think leads to Iowa state's ultimate success down the road is in second halves. It's just so damn hard to do anything against this defense when the defense is run right that. Yeah. Even if you're successful, it's hard to maintain it. Look at the second game with Oklahoma. They were really hot out of the gate and Iowa state knew more or less what they were going to do. They just in the second half finally ran out of juice because of how much, energy it took to get open, to create a passing link, to create a running lane. Like it just takes so much energy. So yeah, the defense, I don't think has a tremendous amount of overhaul, but hopefully that, that learning curve in any given game gets pushed forward a touch where you can start suffocating sooner. Okay. So what's your level concern with the defensive line? Because I mean, I think when you look at every position on this roster, like that's the one that probably maybe tight end, I guess with losing Dylan Sainer, but losing Jaquan Bailey, 
I think is the one that like really jumps out the most is like the biggest impact guy. And we talked to Eli Rashid about this on Monday, but how easy is it to replace a guy like that? You know, how, even when you have a guy like Will McDonald, like just how much pressure does it put on him when you lose kind of his, you know, partner in crime on the other side of the defensive line as a pass rusher, uh, how much more difficult will that make his life moving forward? Just go ahead and put all the pressure on Will McDonald. I think he can handle it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not that worried about the defensive line. Um, I think they've got strong kids. I think they've rotated really well. Um, I think there's some young kids there that, that you're going to get a chance to see that'll, that'll have an impact. It'll be a little bit different type of play than what you saw from Jaquan. But I think, um, I think it'll be effective. Like I like Willis Singleton. I think he'll make an impact in the middle there. And I think we saw some things out of Inye last year that indicated, and sometimes it takes it a little bit extra time for a guy that size to really come into his own. And so seeing him, I think there's still another step up that, that any can make um, and, and really solidify that line. My concern defensively is replacing number 11, uh, and getting better play out of just two easy places people could go for yards uh, or going on that opposite corner from Johnson. That was an easy place to go. Uh, the best news on that is that against Oregon and against Oklahoma in the championship game, uh, number two played really well, played the best he played all year and actually made improvement. So, there's a there's an opportunity for him to be better uh and number 11 was just so solid uh in that safety position uh, number one and 12 are great um but number 11 is going to be hard to replace so it'll be interesting to see if there's talent uh, and experience enough there to to bring what he brought to the table in both coverage and run support yeah, I think this, to answer the defensive line question, I think they're also helped by, uh, of all of the position groups on the defensive side, linebacker has to be the strongest. Mm -hmm. And you're helped when you're a defensive lineman that you got Mike Rose, Orion Vance, Jake Hummel, and then your backups just as good. I mean, maybe not as good as, as Mike, but your backups are solid. So there is no drop-off and you can rotate. So you have a hundred percent effectiveness basically at every single snap, which if you do every once in a while end up in a not perfect position, your linebacker is good enough to make up for it. And what that also does is when you're watching film uh, and, and Jay, you are a tight end. So you can kind of, I uh, mean, as a, a H back and when I was a running back, I know that offensive linemen get sped up when you have a really good linebacker, really linebackers that are super quick at reading always in the right spot, your combos, your combination blocks end up getting pushed faster than you want because you're like, shoot, if we ride this defensive tackle too long, the linebacker is going to zip right underneath. There's no chance we can stop him. It's a tackle for loss. So we have to come off of this defensive lineman sooner and get to this linebacker faster because we can't not. And so I think the, the high quality play of the linebackers will make up a little bit for the, I don't want to call it inexperience, but a little inexperience on the defensive line with the one and two or the, like the two and three deep guys, they're going to have to rotate in, um, to address the secondary thing. I think of all the positions though, that you're probably okay. 
in the secondary. I mean, uh, Lawrence White was really good and really consistent, but I think you probably are going to be able to find a guy that has a, a higher upside just so long as he doesn't have a lower downside because the talent that they have of guys coming in, you're, you're starting to, you're elevating that group consistently. And so having Aishim on one side, which for him, it's slow down just a little bit. Like it's not saying slow down because that's your game, but slow down just a little bit. And then Greg, keep doing what you're doing, buddy. And then finding a guy that's going to be somewhere in the middle is just be Mr. Reliable with Eisworth. So then the other player, AKA Aishim can play like he normally does hair on fire. So it's just a matter of balancing that group out. Yeah. I, the corners and Jared, you, you probably have a better insight on this than the, than ever, you know, whomever else, but there are some younger guys in the secondary that they're really high on. Aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Are they high on Michael Antoine still. Uh, he wasn't brought up today. We actually talked to Matt Capone today. Uh, the, um, they brought up TJ Tampa was one guy that they were really excited about. Uh, and he played a little bit this past year. Um, I'm trying to think miles purchase. Who's a true freshman. They really like him. They think that he's a guy who could come in and play right away. Uh, man, I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, they brought up, Ta uh, you know, Tavon and, and Daytron. And Caponi said that he thinks Daytron's playing as well as, as he ever has. And obviously we've, you know, picked on number two a lot <laughs> here on this podcast. Uh -huh. But uh, he feels like things have really clicked for him. So. I don't know. I mean, maybe they think that he can, you know, they make did. A big jump. So when I, when I was watching the games back, the, those last two games, the big ball championship game and, and the Oregon game, his, his level of play elevated significantly. And I don't know what it was. If it was just a, I don't know. You know sometimes it takes a kid to, uh, out of nowhere, it was like an aggression click or something, but he played, he actually played very solid. He wasn't Anthony Johnson, but he wasn't far off. He was what I, you want on that support corner. And I, I don't know what, what the switch was, but he was, he played like I thought he was going to play a year and a half earlier. So for some reason he lost some space and some confidence, but he got it back those last two games. If that continues, then I'm okay with that guy over there. And I like the defense, uh, with him there, but, uh, maybe it was pressure from younger guys that, that clicked, but, but go back and watch those two games. He played really solidly. Especially in the run game past game. Still, he got some, yeah, in the run. Yes. The run yeah. Good. Right. Right. And I think we brought that up I agree. at the time that it seemed like he had really elevated his level of play. But I, you know, I feel like it's like picking nits a little bit when it's like, oh, this one cornerback spot, you know, like this is where we have a really major concern. Because again, like I think they've got guys there. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Like that TJ Tampa was a high level player coming out of high school. Like that's a kid that's going to be, I think has the potential to be a really, really good player at Iowa State. Is he ready to do that this year? I don't know. I mean, I think we're probably going to find out because he's going to have to play more. But it's like the holes on that defense are just so, you know, small that it's like it, – I don't know that they're going to be like something that can be exploited to the tune of like changing the game, if that makes sense or changing how the direction that a game could go. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you guys think about that. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, yeah, to me, there's no glaring, forget the, forgive the profanity. There's no, oh shit holes on this defense where you're like, you know, in years past where you have, um, you know, like a Brian Peavy on one side and then you got one corner on the other. And if he turns an ankle, you are screwed because you have to completely change the scheme of your defense to compensate for a lack of position group. But they have depth now that even if you have, you know, a, I don't want to say a key guy go down because obviously you don't want that. But if there are, there's no one position or player that holds the defense together exclusively that you have to completely turn over scheme or start hedging one side or whatever to make up for it. So I don't know. I think the defense is yeah, generally speaking, they can improve. And every, you know, every defensive coach is going to say, obviously you always want to improve. So they can improve, but at the same time, their, their floor seems pretty high that the worst they can play is okay. They're not going to be a bad unit in any given game. You agree with that, Jay? So uh, there were two. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I'm sitting here just, just feeling, uh, just sitting here wondering, are we talking ourselves into massive hype <laughs> uh, as we, we talk through the uh, correctable issues that, that they have? I, I was thinking about three losses. So they lost to Louisiana, who's a really good team. I think everybody knows that now. Um, I'm not sure Iowa State knew it at the beginning of the season last year. They lost to Oklahoma and they lost to Oklahoma state. Uh, there are two major factors in two of those losses. One was Aishim Young's absence uh, early in two games, Oklahoma state and Oklahoma and the kicker. So we haven't talked about the kicker. So what, are, I don't know much about that. Try not paid much attention to it, but the kicking game with the loss of Kene uh, and the couple games he was able to turn around throughout his career with large kickoff returns uh, and inconsistency and just poor, poor misses. The one that still kills me is a 75 yard run against Oklahoma state by Brees Hall with a missed kick on the end of it. Um, that's a margin yeah, in the game. So uh, what's happening in the kicking game up there? Yeah, Jared. Well, I mean, I, they brought in the kid from Fordham that was an all-conference player at Fordham. But it's like, until I see him kick, I mean, I can't really tell you, you know, what the kid is like. I mean, that's just... The alley is back. Yeah, yeah. Kicking it right down the ass, alley is back. But it's just... I feel like that position is going to be hard for us to judge because, like, I haven't seen any of those guys kick the ball, you know? It's like, also I don't... Different it's also different when you're kicking in a closed practice versus kicking in front of 78,000 people in Norman, Oklahoma. Right. I mean, I, I think that they're well aware of the fact that they have to be better there. That's why they went, I mean, they went and got one of the top kicking recruits in the country uh, to walk on like a kickoff specialist. They went and recruited a kickoff specialist. Like they know that they have to be better in that area, you know, and that, tells me like when they know they have to be better in a specific area more often than not, we've seen them get better, which makes me feel a little bit better right now today. But again, like, I don't think we can answer those questions until we see them kick on, you know, what September, whatever against Northern Iowa. And they have to kick off for the first time. If that makes sense. Hey, does, does you and I have an advantage playing season? a mini season here this spring 
I would think they have a disadvantage. In the next fall. Yeah, I think it's the other way. I think they're going to be okay. the, the amount of beat up you get from one season to the next, and then not having an off season to kind of re-strengthen and figure out, hey, let's address the thing. You know, your punch wasn't as strong as we needed to. Let's work on that hip extension because we need to improve that. You're going to have like three months before you're back in pads by the time you're done and recovered. So I think it's more, more of a disadvantage than anything. Um, they but- also weren't very good. Like they, they were not a very good team this year and their quarterback position was suddenly a lot more of a question mark than what I think anybody expected it to be. That could be a sophomore slump with McIlvain though. Yeah. Or, you know, a regression just because people have seen it. So we well, got beat out by a true freshman. Oh, shoot. I didn't even notice that. That's what Josh Betts told me. I think that's what he told me. I can't remember for sure. But I know that I had a conversation with Josh Betts about that, about a true freshman playing quarterback for them. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they're a lot more in flux than what maybe we thought that they were. But they also, I mean, like they also lost like that Spencer Brown, who's going to play in the NFL. He didn't play this year. You know, uh, they lost, they had a bunch of guys transfer out to go and play other places. I mean, I think that that program right now is a lot more in flux than what they maybe are in a normal year. Like those FCS schools could be in a lot more question marks moving forward than what they were previously compared to an FBS team. Sure. What do you think that they have an advantage, Jay? No, I just, I just, I just kind of wondered. I've been watching a lot of HBCU football. Uh, You've been uh, big on, uh, big on watching Prime's team. Watching, uh, watching. Yeah, because the last, yeah, last couple of years he's coached with his son uh, at the school that's in the conference. My son plays in, so I've watched him close, closely and firsthand. Um, for the last few years. So I was very curious to see what he would do over there. Uh, he's, he's a smart dude. He knows football. He's a good coach, uh, good motivator. And I think it's neat. And now you see Tennessee state hiring Eddie George and got Hugh Jackson and Jeff Fisher and um, making a play. I think what the HBCUs are doing is really pretty cool. I think it cre- could create the subset of football. That's uh, uh, pretty neat and challenging for, uh, for some of the uh, power five schools going forward but uh yeah i've been watching a lot of that and just wondering if there's an advantage to the experience getting that experience but i, I agree with you guys it's probably a wash because they didn't get it in the fall so they're trying to cram it in now and to the extent campbell's theory is correct with regard to uh having more time to to train at 100 percent instead of uh limiting your training due to injury and being beat up uh through full contact football activities. Um, yeah, I could see that being, being an issue in the fall. I just worry about that game. Iowa state's never really just established themselves in that game, uh, in the Campbell era. And I'd like to see that happen. I think it's an important thing to happen next year. Yeah. I'm also curious just generally about the start of this season versus the start of season fast. Cause like we were talking about with the offense, it's a rhythm offense. It's a, I need to know where everybody else is at every time at all, at all times. And then it's just takes some, some, some licks to get there. Well, they got pretty much everybody there, you know, like, is this a continuation of last season from a comfort standpoint, or do we start back from square one or two? So that's just, I'm curious to see how the season starts. I mean, if there were to be any season to buck that trend, it's this one because you're returning what nine of 11 starters in the offense. So, or 10 of 11. So like, you're going to, you're going to have the people 
to return. It's just a matter of, you know, does it come out better than it normally does? I think in that sense too, like you have this, the, like even when David was here, we knew it's like, okay, at the end of the day, we know we can give the ball to 32 and everything's going to like, things will more often than not will work out. You know, like you still have that guy that you can give the ball to 28 and you know, more often than not, then things will work out. But even with David, it was like, there were so many questions on the offensive line that then you still didn't really know what, okay, things are going to work out, man. Like they could give the ball to Brees Hall 30 times in the first game with those five guys they've got up front and win comfortably, you know, like, and you don't have to worry about some of those concerns, I guess. And I guess that's where I'm at on it just because of what, you know, you have coming back up front. I kind of know if win comfortably is the expectation and we should go into any seat into the season. No. I don't think that's what we've gone to the beginning of most other seasons and that has not been comfortable in any season. So, well, and we're not talking about any, I mean, we're talking about Iowa state in isolation without the context of potential improvement or expected improvement from the rest of the league, which is, I think is substantial. I, I like, like for instance, like I, I know they've had chaos there. I think tech was really close. I think they were really close to getting significantly better. I think Baylor's really far away. I think TCU is really close uh, to being a factor and a problem. I don't know what stops Gundy at Oklahoma State because they have all the elements there to be be really good. And does Sarkeesian matter at Texas or is Texas just the Texas, just what they are? I don't know. Um, Eric Gray transferring into Oklahoma is a big deal because that that's a dynamic back that I watch play a lot of football in Tennessee. Um, that's different than the type of running backs that they've had the last couple of years. And, um, you know, and Rattler getting a, a year better. I don't know what the rest of the league is going to do uh, relative to Iowa state. The thing I love about where Iowa state is right now and who they are is we know exactly who they are. And so does everybody else. And we know it's hard to beat them one way or the other. It's just hard to beat them. And that's what gives me comfort on the whole why not side of the hype train is why not? Because it's just really hard to beat them if they don't beat themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to do more than what they do. It's hard to pull them out of position. Um, that's the whole why not side of it. The why side of it, yeah, you got to make plays. You just got to make big plays. Do they have some guys that can do that? Yeah. Um, but is it a given? No. So that, that, that's where the season will rest, but, um, all right, I'll just screw off then. I'm going to, yeah, idiot, just screw so. off Jared. Yeah. You I'm are an stupid. idiot. So just, just <laughs> thanks guys. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Oh, well, sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I, did, did I turn into football intellectual bully on you right there? Uh, uh, you both did. You both did, but it's okay. Oh, uh, no. I'm, I'm only going to report you both to human resources for harassment, but, uh, human resources, Chris Williams, I think we're good. No, I actually our human resources officer. I think right now is Todd Blythe. So either way, you guys are probably yeah, good. in good shape. Yeah. Either way, you're probably in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, guys, it's been fun. We've gone about an hour and a half. So I think, uh, I think we've covered all the ground that we can possibly cover unless you have anything. I don't else. think it's enough. <laughs> You don't think it's enough? I'm going to be coaching this fall. You're going to be coaching? Who are you coaching? 
Who are you coaching? Uh, private school here in town. I'm going to have the offensive line and linebackers. Uh, oh, it's man. called All Saints Episcopal School in Tyler, Texas. So Tyler I've got a new favorite, new favorite high school to watch every Friday night. Then. <laughs> yep. Yep. Will it? Will at least be tough. <laughs> Skilled? We'll see. Tough? Sure. Yeah. Tough? <laughs> sure. We can. We can handle that. That's what Jay can do. All right. Well, pal, uh, guys, I appreciate you guys coming, uh, taking the time to do this. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again here soon when, um, you know, when we've got some time and we can cover everything that we didn't cover. I don't know what we possibly didn't cover, but, uh, we'll, we'll do it again. We didn't get into any random things. So well, maybe we should have, maybe we should have a joint session where we just do random things and leave the football to the side. That yeah. sounds like a good idea. Uh, maybe like here sometime. It's going to be a nine-hour nine hour podcast. For some reason, Jeff seems subdued. Are you sad today, buddy? Like, what's wrong? No, I'm pensive. I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to figure out things that we didn't talk about. If we didn't address anything, making sure Jay feels like his, his needs were met. And I'm trying to make sure that your feelings are okay, Jared. Are your feelings- I feel validated, Jeff. I appreciate the time. Are your feelings okay, Jared? My feelings remain up in the air, but I think that I will live. <laughs> All right. Well, I got stuck. I do too. Right. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you guys later. Thanks everybody right, for bye. listening. Thanks to A plus. We'll uh, talk again soon. Peace.